Hey there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Knuckleheads podcast. I'm Nico. I'm Alex. And we are in a good mood now because even though the Canucks gave us a bit of a scare through almost the entire game, Monsieur Adam Gadet came in and saved the day. This is this is this is the Knuckleheads podcast. Knuckleheads podcast. Let's go. After almost falling asleep there in the third period at a certain point, finally, Adam Goddard, who hasn't been able to buy a goal through the last couple of games, not more than last couple of games, the last dozen or so games this season, finally came through in the clutch with an absolute beautiful topside clapper there to tie the game with about 40 seconds left. Dinged it top shelf. Price didn't stand a chance. He had all the time of day. The Canucks set him up very nicely, and he took advantage of it with just 40 seconds left in the game. Yeah, it was a nice up there by uh, first Hughes to uh, Horvat, who made a nice pass across. And uh, you could see how pumped he was about that. I mean, you could hear an Adam audible woo yeah. in the crowd. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he's been through a real rough stretch this year. I mean, he's currently shooting about. Well, not including tonight's game. He was shooting 4% coming in after shooting 16% last year. Last year, we're all kind of forgetting that he had 33 points, 12 goals in about 60 games. About yeah. a point, about half point per game, which is solid production. And I think we were all looking forward to him trying to step uh, forward defensively this year, maybe settle into that third line role, the third line C role. And... Um, it's fair to say things have not gone as uh, he'd have hoped this year. And that line's been in flux as much of the bottom six has been throughout the this season. Saying that, I think over the last three-game win streak here, we found a little bit of stability to that. In part because I think uh, Godet and some of those other guys in the bottom six there playing a lot better. I feel like Godet was a very deserving recipient of the big goal tonight because I think his play in general over the last few games, he's been just a touch-off, hitting posts and whatnot over the last few games and um it's that sort of effort and whatnot that you keep putting into it eventually things start turning for you and, it, and hopefully this leads to a bit more like that in the future and he's had moments throughout the season like we know we know he's got skills so this was just so great to see and it is one of those things i mean in any sport when you have that end of the game i mean this and this game was low energy montreal thought oh. they had won it at this point oh. the canucks thought they had lost it everyone was surprised by this goal and then you could see it in overtime. Montreal was just like, oh, my gosh. They still weren't really recovered. I mean, we didn't even – the overtime was pretty quiet nonetheless, but we definitely had the momentum, and it's thanks to Godet. I mean, with Pedersen being out the last few games here, we hit it against the second game against the Maple Leafs pretty well. Even that first game against the Leafs, you know, we came through. We'll get to Jake Vertanen's historic effort later. <laughs> but this game, you really saw and felt Pedersen's absence. Because yeah. at the end of the day, he brings a certain energy and creativity to the Canucks that every time he's on the ice, you feel like there's something that's going to happen. Like he's constantly pushing the pace. And um, there were lack of that dynamic top. Like, I mean, he's one of the best players in the league. Obviously, they're missing the team. And without him, you really see that loss and that they don't have anyone else who really comes close to providing what he can offensively. And it shows the lack of depth on the middle, quite frankly. So they're having to switch Miller into the center spot where he's fine, but he's better on the wing. You got a Horvat who I think has played pretty well over the last few games. Mm-hmm. And then I will say, and I do want to have a discussion here with Connects bottom six. Cause I think the Connects bottom six at the end of the day is the thing that really makes or breaks 
how good this team can be at a certain point. I mean, we all know some of the issues that the top six has had throughout the year in terms of inconsistency and poor defensive play, but I always have faith that they'll turn it around. The thing that makes a team a true contender when you have the top six that the Canucks do is how much that bottom six can carry their weight, and it's where the Habs in the past this season have really, really caved in the Canucks. And I think the introduction of Michaelis and Howerluck into the bottom six here has brought some speed to the lineup. Yeah. I think Adam Gaudet's played a lot better of late. Brandon Sutter has actually had an okay season. The thing is, is you see the night tonight that Adam Gaudet's able to provide where he's playing with some pace. He's a winger. I know he comes in and he's played some center last year. He played center in college where he won the Hobie Baker, but he's a winger. I think so too. He's got great speed up and down the wings there, brings it to the net well. He's got a great shot off the rush. And he, and I mean, in the modern NHL, honestly, positions are more fluid almost than ever before. You mm-hmm. see it with Miller and Pedersen all the time, to be honest, where they almost switch quite, free, quite uh, frequently throughout a certain shift. I think Godet could play a supportive center role in that, like a hybrid center, but he is not a full-time center. He's not good enough to face us. And quite frankly, he's not good enough down low defensively. He's just, he's too, he's, we went over it earlier this year. He's skinny. And uh, unfortunately, that's not due to his fault, as we found out. But it holds him back from really holding down a bottom six spot like you dream of Sutter doing and what Sutter's paid to do. But at the end of the day, whether or not Sutter was actually ever that guy that he was envisioned to be coming into Vancouver to hold down the next bottom six and be that found, foundational, as Jim Benning once greatly said, uh, depth piece. And whether or not it was injuries or he just wasn't that, he hasn't been that for the Vancouver Canucks. And it's something that you really see that they're lacking. I fully agree. And it's a good point about how positions are more fluid than ever. But even with that said, yeah, it still makes a difference for how these guys play with their mindset. And Gaudet has a bit of a winger mindset. He likes to try to find the back of the net. And uh, and it's fun when he is. And I, I like, yeah, I like the pairing with him, Sutter, and Nicholas right now. Yeah. And I mean, any real serious cup winning even like contending team in my opinion has got a solid third line that honestly in playoffs and throughout the balance of the regular season can tilt a lot of matchups uh, i mean you saw it with the Tampa Bay lightning last year who mm-hmm. ran through i mean they're much they weren't as much about like one specific solid center per se i mean you still have like well you had anthony sorelli really manning that spot for a lot of it which is like an unbelievable third line center to have too you got guys like Tyler Johnson, and they just have a really solid team, obviously. The St. Louis uh, Blues on their cup run use guys like Robert Thomas and Tyler Bozak. Both, I mean, Bozak was, sorry, um, Thomas was a rookie at the time, but a really good rookie, and Bozak was an overqualified third line center. It's really important to have at least almost a star on your third line. Not a star, but yeah, I fully agree that it takes three lines now at least. There was a point where it was one. There's a point where it was two. It's three now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like you see it. And I mean, the ideal of that classic third third line checking line is less relevant in today's NHL, but you need a possession line. You need a line that's going to go out there and carry 55% of possession. Maybe not 50 That's a lot. But carry more of the expected possession, carry more of the expected goals to do more than and carry their own weight. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it's about. And quite frankly, I mean, you see the Canucks go out third line go out there, and sometimes they're really good. But at the end of the day, they're only going to be better than the other team's third line three or four out of every ten games, and that's just not enough to be a real contender. And um, so, hopefully, 
guy like Godet can stabilize the spot down there. I really like him. Um, I think trading him at this point, I know he was in some rumors early in the year, would be a huge mistake because I don't think he's got the value that you necessarily want out of return. So I don't really get the point of just kind of dumping him when I think that he, as a hockey player, has a lot of value. He's 24, which granted is like a little bit older on the in the super young NHL that is today, but he's 24. And at the end of the day, I don't think he's hit his peak, especially when we know for very real reasons, he has not put on his max weight. Yes, he has definitely got room to improve. And I don't think there's any point in trading him. Cause I also think he's a good locker room guy. And I think he, he has skill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's worth keeping. I hope when PD's back, like you said, that our bottom six can start to figure themselves out. But like you said, overall, it takes a really strong three lines to, to win it all. And that's just something that I I've become to question this year. I just don't know if we have, the depth uh, that it's going to take. But with that said, I mean, it's been a pretty fun three games uh, so far. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about some of the Montreal Canadiens up there. And uh, I got to say, I found myself feeling almost like a crazy person at a certain point. Cause I found myself almost enjoying watching Corey Perry tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I think the fact that like, he's so close to being done. This might be his last year. He may have one or two more years left in him. But he's almost done, and I found watching him with Dallas as an impartial observer during the playoffs last year, I enjoyed his game. He's an annoying <laughs> mother. He's, he's an annoying piece of crap. My mother hates him. My mom hates him. But you know what? I got to say, I think if Corey Perry played for my team growing up, I'd have a real soft spot for him. <laughs> Right? That's how I feel. I fully <laughs> agree, dude. That's well, how- he is so annoying. He's dirty as hell sometimes, too, but he's so funny. Like, his face is just so stupid, and it, I, have, I have a hard time hating him because he's got this, like, <laughs> me expression all the time. He's just a skinny little guy. <laughs> like, he's just so... But he does spear people all the time, and that is not okay. But, I mean... But, no, it, it's, it's super true. He has almost a... A nerdy energy, yeah, while yeah, still yeah. being, <laughs> yeah, well put, while still being a little shit, and he's and he yeah. can shoot the puck, so he's made a career. Um, so no, like I, I want a heart trophy. Yeah, exactly. I agree <laughs> that uh, it's it is fun to see him, and I would have a soft spot if he played for us. Uh, and I am surprised that he's kind of still. It's one of those things with these types of players. The way they age is super interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> they and either milk they it that, and go that yeah. much harder. In how many heart trophy? former Hart Trophy winners would end their career the way Corey Perry has done over the last few years. I mean, he looking through that list of Hart Trophy winners throughout NHL history, there's always a few weird ones that stand out. You get that more so, I think, in hockey than sports like the NBA and whatnot, uh, just because you get more year-to-year variation. I mean, Jamie Benn winning an Art Rush Trophy with 88 points is always going to be a weird nut thing that really stands out. Um, But Corey Perry winning a Hart Trophy, to me, is one of those things that I'm like, ugh. (laughs) <laughs> Y'all, we really fucked up there. Just because you guys couldn't refuse to give it to Sadine back-to-back years doesn't mean <laughs> that was the right thing to do. And the reason Corey Perry won that, just in case anyone doesn't remember, and I'm still salty about this to this day, <laughs> is the fact that he played on the penalty kill. Which, I mean, like, sure, but, like, no star in the league plays on the penalty kill now because it's a stupid thing to do with your stars. Why are they blocking shots? I got to say, it is a stupid thing to do with your stars, <laughs> but I'm all for it. I love it. Just because, like, I, I think the penalty kill is more important than we give no, it credit for. I feel like the NHL's at a point so now. So many people can do it. 
<laughs> it's a value over a replacement thing, man. Corey Perry is not providing the value on the penalty kill. <laughs> Trying to protect our stars. Let them yeah, get roughed up. Break a foot. God damn. Speaking he, of hearts, actually, yeah. uh, I, I don't know if later into this we're going to talk about some trade rumors, but I have forgotten that Taylor Hall won a heart. <laughs> yeah, that's another one that will stand out, I think, too, because he that was a great year he had. Yeah, and for the Devils. That, like, I know, what? I think that's another one. That should have been McKinnon's. Or McDavid's. Yeah. Actually, that should have been McDavid's. That was the year where McDavid was way ahead in points, but his team sucked. Yeah. So he didn't get it. And uh, looking back, yeah, he, he probably should have got it. <laughs> but, um, you know, sometimes the sport takes time to grow and evolve in the way we think about things. And, uh, you know, I'd be, this is a real a side topic here, but I'm a very, I'm a big proponent, I think, about the NHL kind of revamping their award system and um, coming up with clear definitions for some of these awards. And like differentiating, like I think there's a little redundancy to having the uh, Ted Lindsay and the heart. Mm, I and know like, what you mean. I, I think like the Ted Lindsay, to my opinion, it should be like, who do the players think is the best player in the league? And the heart should be most valuable, clearly, because those are often different things. That's a classic basketball argument, you know. Yeah. It's like, is the MVP <laughs> about the best player? Or is it about the most valuable player? Because those are often two different things. So are you in the market that you want more awards or you want less? Not more. I think just clear definitions. Just less overlap. But, but the um, definition saying, is already there. For Like we just said, Ted Lindsay is supposed to be the best player. and uh, It's kind of like what you think. Yeah. No, but the Ted Lindsay is like the players voting for like the most outstanding player. What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, so anyway, and the MVP, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so there's just a lot. Of, this is a separate issue I could go on for about for a while. Also, like the King Clancy, what the hell's that? Don't even get me started on the Mark Messier award delivered by fucking Mark Messier for leadership. Who, like, how many captains have you ever heard of that are hated intensely, white hot, twenty over twenty years later by a market that they were the captain in for three years, and that guy's <laughs> given a leadership award out, and he picks. All right, sorry. Anyways, the Canucks beat the Montreal Canadiens tonight to win the third in a row for the first time this season. There's not no, they beat the Sens three times in a row. I guess this has been a weird year. Um, Can I throw in a quick yeah. addition to trophies? <laughs> I've always been bugged that hockey trophies are just names because I like when the other sports. People? Yeah. yeah, I like when other sports kind of explain what it is. You know, like baseball, yeah. Silver Slugger, Gold Glove. You can really clue in like that's what that is. You know what I mean? But every time with hockey trophies, I have to take a second. Like, we know the, the famous Lancer. ones. But, yeah. yeah, when you throw, like, King Clancy. The Lady like, Bang. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's so many. And there's so nah. Hockey does too many things to make itself very niche. Yeah, it really That does. is one of them. That is one of them. It's overwhelmingly, like, why? <laughs> but, but, but hockey people love it, man. And it's so difficult to change. And it's like, guys, please, please open up the sport. People love it, man. It's a great game. <laughs> like... It's a great game. Ugh. And it's so confused as to whether it wants to be mainstream or if it wants to stay Exactly. <laughs> I know. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Is this like a cool little Canadian thing or do we want to be like a big sport on the world stage? That's I don't seriously know. what like, hockey asks itself every year. Canada's like, do we want to dominate still or do we want everyone else to play this great game and we're like the classic ambassadors? I think Canada fears. I think we fear becoming England in soccer. Oh, really? Where I think, like, they invented the game. Like, it's like, they claim the game, 
but they're not the best. They're nowhere near the best. They haven't won for over 50 years. No, yeah, I don't they're... think Canada would ever be that with hockey, but <laughs> so they're worried you know if it I goes mean? too global, then yeah. we're just going to get forgotten. Yeah, we're just too small. At the end of the day, we got to have a sport that we really like and no one else likes quite as much or no one else that's as big as us really likes. I mean, the only way to even really kind of get that was if, if, if we really start falling off Olympics. You know what I mean? Like if we're just... Yeah. <laughs> See, that's where we get like the little Scandinavian countries involved. I mean, Finland's like 4 million people, man. Smaller than Toronto. Even with content being made, like sometimes I'm surprised that like, I know there's lots of content, but sometimes there's like, when I look up just daily hockey YouTube videos, there's not as much as there should be. Like I shouldn't be watching some dude in his room. I'm like, what? I know. know. Think about all that. And we're still just getting 10 views an episode here. Listen (laughs) to this here, people. This is great shit. This is the best. <laughs> this is going to be the promo right here. This is great shit. Sorry, Alex, you can't say the kids are trying to listen. <sighs> I actually swore a couple times so already. The... <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> so the Canucks won tonight. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, anyways. Also, one final thing from the game tonight, which is otherwise a boring game where we talked about too much already. Um, I want to shout out Thomas Tatar for going between the legs in the final attempt there. I think some people are going to rake him for it, but I firmly believe if we're gonna celebrate these guys for doing cool shitting games, we gotta sell. We gotta give them, let them off the hook when they try it and it doesn't work out. So, anyways, I, I actually also wanted to shout out the fact that Besser had a really nice goal attempt. Ooh. He Ooh. deked through everybody, came back from behind the net. He started going around it, came back, had a wide open corner, and then Price got his glove down somehow, some way. Well, I think we should talk about Besser right now and lead into the Leaf series here because he, uh, in the last game against the Leafs there, had one of his best games I think I've seen him play in a Canucks uniform in some time. And uh, Maybe in his been career. A real, a real significant contributor since Patterson's been hurt, but even before that. He's probably been the most consistent Canuck, in my opinion, from start to this point of the year. I think it's safe to say that Besser has been better than Patterson this year. Just he's like, been certainly more consistent and he's been i don't know Pedersen when he's on is like there's just no one else really like him Pedersen's more but, special yeah but Bester's been great just consistently he has, great he's been fantastic now i'd say so he's got 28 points in 29 games 13 goals in the season so he's close to uh, half a goal per game i mean last year for 57 games he only had 16 goals so he's already close to that in almost half the number of games this season mm-hmm he's really returned to that elite form that we kind of saw in his rookie season. And to be honest, I think this is not, I mean, this is certainly a better version of that. Um, He's brought back some of that explosiveness, some of that excellent wrist shot we saw back in that rookie season. And he's a much better all around player. I mean, that's that play we saw in overtime tonight where he went around, deked out two halves, went around the net, almost scored on, on price on a backhand there after reversing, then continued battling one back the puck. I mean, that's just a much all-around, more solid player than I have ever seen out of Brock Besser. And he's brought that in a better night-to-night basis this year. He's been a better, much better 200-foot player. And um, in my opinion, he's certainly been better than JT Miller this year, like significantly so. After Miller, I thought, certainly eclipsed him last year in terms of his ranking of Canucks core. And um, I mean, look, if Besser can get back to that, I think everyone at Canucks uh, fandom is super excited about it. He's been one of the great bright spots of this season. And he's 24. And yeah. that that play that we're talking about, uh, it's a perfect example of 
the difference between what we thought or what I had started to think uh, Pastor and Besser, <laughs> Pedersen and Besser had, mm-hmm. um, was that Pedersen had these ways of moving around with the puck so confident and so smart that he could make plays happen. And I started to wonder if maybe Besser wasn't the guy that makes plays happen, but merely just like uh, gets, a, gets a great, yeah. yeah, an advantage from something else yeah. happening. But he's making it happen himself yeah. now. Yeah, certainly. He's been much more versatile player than he was in the past and doesn't need to be in specific highlighted roles to still feature in a game, which is a big, big sign of an elite player. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so he, I was saying he's been one of the great bright spots of the year, but I think we've actually kind of buried the lead here from the last three games. And that has arguably been the Canucks' biggest bright spot over the season. And that's the play of Thatcher Demko. He He, is the goalie we wanted him to be. True. I mean, the Canucks' early season struggles were so much based upon the fact that not only were they garbage, but at times last year they were garbage and they won games because Jacob Markstrom kept him in them. He kept him in it. He made a couple big saves throughout the course of the game. They were hanging around, come back, score in the third, steal the game. And the Canucks, quite frankly, have not been doing that all this year. This is the first game. They've won after not scoring first all season. That we're 29 games in. That's pretty mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. And Demko over the last, well, he's in a personal four-game winning streak as a Canucks on a three-game team winning streak. He's kept Canucks in all four of those games. He's only allowed four goals against in those games. He's really stepped up his save percentage. I'm in most kind of um so this number varies. There's something called goal saved above expected. This number varies depending upon which um, service is providing it. But generally, he's been about third or fourth in vast in most lists uh, this season for goaltenders goal saved above average, meaning that he's been one of the top goaltenders in the league and is probably deserving of some borderline Vesna conversation. I doubt it'll get there because I think the connects are too poor and his traditional counting numbers are not tremendous. But, I mean, we've watched the games. He's made some huge saves over the last couple of games. He looks better, I think, than he has almost. Well, obviously, like, the bubble was exceptional last year, but better than any regular season play I've ever seen of him in the past. His feet are much quieter. He feels much calmer and more confident in the net. And, um, like, I see, like, his personality is showing through more so than it ever has been. And that's in him chatting. He is like, he's a Cali kid. He's a San Diego boy, man. He goes down there, chills on the beach. He's cool. He's a cool cat. And that's what you're going to see in the goaltender. <laughs> it's so true. And you even saw it in the shootout today uh, yeah. after one of his saves. You could see his yeah. personality coming through. And uh, for all my fantasy nerds out there, he, over the last seven days, is the number one fantasy player over the last seven days total. Uh, because of his his three really strong wins. And we're talking against like offensive teams. The Maple Leafs yeah. lead the league in goals for, and the Jets are nothing to to sneeze at. And he is just doing so well right now. And I'm so excited because this is what we saw in the playoffs last year yeah. and why I was like saying, you know what? Actually, it's not the end of the world with Markstrom because Demko is ready. I mean, we were yeah. a fan of him from back in the day. He was always a prospect that we expected something of. And it's just so great to see him. Uh, showing out now. Yeah, and now we just have Holtby sitting 
on the bench there, but uh, whatever. I mean, at least he seems like a chill guy and he's not going to be a locker room cancer. <laughs> he seems nice. I think we still got him on a pretty good deal. He's not a bad backup. I'm happy with oh, him. Yeah, but he's not been good this year, quite frankly. And um, I'm still hopeful he'll find his game. But he is certainly not in the good graces of Canucks fans in general right now. Nope, that's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> well, saying that, so the Canucks, uh, you know, they went into a two-game set against the league-leading Toronto Maple Leafs who had come from crushing the Edmonton Oilers. I just want to shout out again quickly. They were so close. They were literally a goal away from becoming the first team in NHL history to shout out a team three times in a row with three different goaltenders. Frederick Anderson, just one goal, literally one goal. They would have shut him out with first Jack Campbell, then Michael Hutchison. They were shot by Michael Hutchison. What was the over-under on Connor McDavid being shut out by Michael Hutchison? And then a goal against Frederick Anderson, their so-called starter, apparently. Um, they absolutely beat down on the Edmonton Oilers, extinguishing any doubt about who the best team in the Canadian division is. Came in against the Vancouver Canucks, who are shorthanded without Elias Pettersson, who, as far as I'm aware, has a day-to-day upper body injury, and that's all we really know right now. He could return next game. He could return three weeks from now. I don't really know. We're not really worrying about it too much because somehow we've won three games in a row without him. Which is questioning me something is Elias <laughs> Pedersen the issue with the Vancouver Connect. Should we trade him? Huge take we, right there. You heard it here him? first. <laughs> Should we trade him? I who could look, we get for Elias Pedersen? Looking around the room, everyone's nodding. <laughs> I think we could pick up Adam Henrique. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pedersen. No, I think we can get Adam Larson. Yeah, pretty. Adam <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. Anyways. Um, yeah, and they uh, went on to sweep that two-game set against the Toronto Maple Leafs in honestly quite shocking, shocking fashion. There's no two ways about it. I was pretty surprised. Um, and that first game coming in maybe the most shocking fashion I've seen all year and leaning to my first shotgun in uh, months. And it, it was not fun. <laughs> um, and for and for was, those those listeners that might not know, please let's make the big announcement as to why you were shotgunning. I mean, you got to know because Jake Vertanen came through, baby. Jake Vertanen. You know what? I'll give him credit. He has been good over the last few games. Like this is the Jake. I mean, ugh, it's just not classic Jake Vertanen narrative arc right here. Right, an injury comes, he gets up on a top line and he starts playing well, and you're like. Oh, was it maybe just the opportunity the After whole time? Literally been traded. Like he'd been traded last week, but for the difference of eight hundred thousand dollars. Except for that, which is almost nothing in the NHL. It was eight, but for the difference of a minimum contract, he was traded last week, and he didn't get traded. And then he comes and wins single-handedly, wins a game against the Toronto Maple Leafs against the best, the team. best team <laughs> in the league at that point. And, uh, you know, just brings us all, ropes us back into it here. Look, I'm not buying this for a quick second, even though I did message people all day during that game saying I have never once ever, ever, ever doubted Jake Rutanen. And it is slander to say that I have ever doubted him. You did message me. I'm not mentally immediately contradicting myself saying we should trade him right fucking now because this is probably the most value he's ever going to have for the rest of his life. That's my thought. It's like, <laughs> all right, now's our chance. When our, we did our last pod, I was like, I don't know what we're going to trade him for. I know. But now we might be able to trade him. For, and I thought about it, honestly, because the crazy circumstance that he listens to this, 
I don't ever want to be like the guy that's like hating on a player because like obviously these guys are still yeah. amazing and talented. But yeah, trade him. Trade him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's see if we can get David Pasternak, baby. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's our trade this right there. Is, I mean, Nico, this is good level uh, fantasy trade analysis for you here. We'll do a quick uh, JV for David Pasternak. I think um, that's a good starting place. And then <laughs> look, I mean, what does it say that this guy was drafted six over? Well, I guess he was drafted six over like seven years now. He played his 300th game the other day, which made me feel old. That made me feel old. But that's also a side effect of how hockey is now. The fact that a 24 year old has been in the league for a long time. 300 like, uh, games. Hockey used to be a sport where you actually had to really work your way through the ranks. And like you mm. were you didn't get like into the league league till you were like 23. And now these guys he was playing. in the league, then out of the league, then in the league then still kind of just in the league like he's he's been on the bubble for 300 games that's a long time to be like is he gonna be what we want <laughs> i know well i'd say no i'd say it's pretty clear no uh anyways so jake for <laughs> it was pretty hilarious though and uh, everyone in yeah, vancouver really, was shotgunning it was a huge yeah, celebration that, that was uh that was rough so hopefully we can dump him on the leaves here for I don't know William Nylander when they get upset one time. That's why I'm disappointed that Brian Burke doesn't run the leaves anymore. Could have got Nylander for retirement after that night. Like seriously, honestly, dude, the Leafs, like all the trade rumors has been so exciting to read. If they get if they get Philip Forsberg, I'll lose my stuff. Have you see I've not really paid attention too much to that right there? Because I guess we'll see when we see. And um, I don't think I really doubt that the trade deadline is much is going to happen at all this year, because in part, it's going to be really difficult, obviously, with the two week quarantine. Um, so there'll just be a few select teams trying to load up. I doubt too many teams are going to be trying to bring in too much cash because to them, it's not going to be worth it if you're not going to get the playoff gate receipts saying that. And I don't know if we have time to really get into that discussion. 19 or 20 now NHL arenas are hosting fans. 20 how many fans? all american so i guess uh, 20 of 23 american arenas are hosting fans it's oof. so we'll see i doubt any of the canadian teams will host fans before the end of the season but the american teams are so and a number of players have gotten vaccinated too apparently well that so that is one thing that we're i'm very hopeful i know things are changing yeah, we'll the u.s are are starting to make progress with yeah. their vaccines because uh, it's been it's been a big thing uh, this season is the fact it's that really... I don't think Canada's had any postponed games have they? No, but America's had almost every team have a postponed yeah. game. Yeah, and um, so we'll see what happens there. Hopefully, those things continue to improve down in the states. There, I mean, it does for a certain little while there. The season was probably more on the edge than most of us would care to have realized. Um, things have certainly got a lot better, which is key. And hopefully that stays the way. And uh, yeah. Fingers crossed. It'd be very cool if uh, we're able to have some sort of interesting um, playoff format because things have gotten better by then. So back to the Canucks here. I'd say another person who's really could not be celebrating this three-game winning streak more is the guy who, after having probably his best two-game stretch of the season... Then decided to go face the media. And that was none other but our very own favorite general manager, Jimbo Bim Benning. <laughs> sorry, Jim Benning of the Vancouver Canucks. Who decided it'd be a good idea. I haven't spoken to the media at all. 
this season, Sorsen's training camp. Time to go back down there and drop some absolute fucking fire. I'm tired of Drake getting all the headlines for his album release. I want my name in the news. And Jim Benning spoken. Um, I'm so excited to hear your breakdown. So uh, before this, Alex asked me if I had heard the press conference. I have not. So we were about to get the the Alex notes of this Jim Benning press conference. I didn't even have time. I, to be honest, I didn't even watch it live. I've just read a bunch of the quotes because I knew I couldn't handle it. Uh, to be honest, I know where I stand with this. Like, I know Jim Benning, if anything, just further proved to me he is who I think he is. <laughs> and that's a nice guy who seems way over honest sometimes and uh, doesn't really have the ability to long-term plan. <laughs> and that, unfortunately, is a real issue as an NHL general manager, it turns out. And yeah. um, so famously last year, after the Canucks struck, struck out on all of their major free agents, spoke about how they just quite simply, quote-unquote, ran out of time. Still makes my blood boil. That's a quote that I think was upsetting to a number of Canucks fans here. So then I started into this press conference here, really hitting the... You know, the keynotes for the betting bros in terms of the great excuses for all the season. You know, speaking about the difficult start to the schedule to begin the year, which, once again, it was very difficult. No two ways about it. Team still sucked balls. No two ways about it. Um, there uh, <laughs> some of the other difficulties, the lack of an exhibition schedule or training camp, which, again, literally every single team in the NHL has had as well this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So he came up with a couple other excuses, you know, said, oh, we'll make it to the playoffs. All that classic Jim Benning-esque. Did he say we would make the playoffs? Yeah, he's still hopeful. I don't know. He didn't say for sure, but whatever. Anyways, what really first perked my ears here, and there are a few quotes that I want to that I want to talk about here. And so once again, they famously said last year, we ran out of time. This year, when asked about Hughes and Pedersen's upcoming contracting negotiations, said, we haven't got to it yet. We have time. Which, once again, really, really hurt. Then, when asked about what was happening in the trade deadline here, he said, quote, unquote, we still have 27 games left in the season. We've got 16 games till the trade deadline. The last couple of weeks, we've been in all the games. We're going to continue to work and compete every night. This is where I want to really procure us up here. We'll see where we're at at the trade deadline, and then we'll make the appropriate decisions at that time. What does that mean? Oh, no. Someone's going to ban the word time from Jim Benning's vocabulary i know we've all been struggling with time here in quarantine and whatnot but man that cannot be (laughs) an acceptable reason in the past this has been the same issue and it seems like it's going to happen again he's trying to re-sign pearson right now they're going to find that hey actually we probably can't pay you a four-year 16 million dollar deal the deal that tyler toffoli ended up getting with montreal he'll say hey you want to do three by nine tyler's Pearson will be like, no. And then they'll get to the trade deadline. Benning will not have built up any market whatsoever for Pearson. Either end up making a last minute kind of 
cents in the dollar trade or just stick with him. And we'll go continuing on. You know what stresses me out about what the quotes you just read are? Is from a general manager's perspective and time, I really have to imagine that most of them, almost all of them, would have been going 2018-2019. Pedersen gets 66 points in 71 games. You know what? I'm going to start thinking about this guy's whole career of contracts. And then Hughes gets 53 and 68 the next year. I would start thinking about his entire career of contracts. So if he's telling me, oh, well, we're 16 days out from the trade deadline, and I'm not really thinking about their contracts. We take it day to day. These contracts should have been planned in your mind years ago. Man. And continuing on that theme, another key quote I want to highlight. When asked about the season so far, he doubled down on that and said, quote unquote, we live day to day. We live with today. We're in today's world. I mean, it's just not the case, (laughs) especially right now. We all have to be planning for the future. (laughs) Your job as general manager is to plan to the future (laughs) and to plan on what's going to happen here. The fans can enjoy the day to day, but I don't want our general manager enjoying (laughs) the job of the coach is to plan day to day to deal with day to day. It's literally in their job description. Your job as your general manager is to think long-term yep, and yep. plan. So he what is he's that? coaching the team. Is that <sighs> Man. Someone just needs you to know? tell him his title is not what he thinks. I know. He also said he thinks we're going to be good again in two years, which, uh, whatever. Two and years. Um, What yeah, a I weird way I, to our, reference the future. Our core players, I know. Our, our, and he talked about how, how physical and mature the rest of the Canadian division is. They're just as young. Like McDavid and Drysaddle, still pretty young. Like the Jets outside of Shifley and Wheeler, I mean the Ealers, they have other young players too. The actually the Jets are a little bit more mature. The Habs down the middle are run by Suzuki and Kokinemi, really. So is he actually thinking, wow, Peterson's oh. 23 and Bester's 24. Meanwhile, Mick David and Dreisel are 25 and Matthews is 25. So they're way older. <laughs> uh, I don't understand it. And RD is old. RD is exceptionally old. So they are veteran. And we see it on a night-to-night basis when Alex Edler really can't pivot at all anymore. But that's an issue for another day. The we quote have a surprising I... amount of veterans. We have them. <sighs> I don't know. The quote that hurt me the most, and it's one, unfortunately, that I can't find exactly right now. But when asked about his relationship with Francesco Aquilini, the real star of the show who was not there, he said he's got a real good relationship with Francesco, and they talk day-to-day about operations. And this is the quote I really want to focus on here. And it's really, I mean, Thomas Strantz spoke about this in the bandcast. So I'm kind of echoing some about his comments here. And it's something that's been a real issue for some time. And I just quite frankly, as a fan is almost infuriating and kind of leads us unable to speak about, because I don't know what the solution is. And that is the fact that Francesco Aquilini is involved day to day in operations here. And he shouldn't be, man. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He's the owner. The man is a slumlord. I mean, he's an apartment owner, whatever. Whoa. And whoa. Uh, <laughs> he's a slumlord, man. That's getting cut. <laughs> the, the blueberry, the blueberry workers out in Chilliwack, don't forget, boy. They <laughs> that man's got human rights complaints against them. That's not even a joke, it's just true. Uh, but I mean, look, even with Rattanen last week, 
That deal didn't happen because of the difference of $800,000. <laughs> the Canucks are operating under a rule that they're going to go dollar in, dollar out. The fact that their actual salary is down about a quarter from what it was last year. They have, like, it's another thing that Drantz keeps noting and not enough people are picking up on is the fact that the team has slashed salary. Well, not necessarily on paper, like on like you're over salary cap. The actual dollars are what they're paying has been slashed. Canucks have bloodlet their organizational departments. Let a th- tons of people go here. They have significantly shrunk their operations. There's no way even their hockey operations department is as small as it is right now because they refuse to bring in big budget important league players this is a major canadian market this is the third biggest market in canada that is like even on a team that sucks right now invested this is a team with one of the bottom three losing percentages in the league over the last few years and we still feel like there's enough interest in this market to come up with like a podcast that like this (laughs) like this is a big market and this is a market that quite frankly shouldn't be having to haggle like the fucking Arizona Coyotes over the difference of $800,000. I definitely think uh, the operational thing is, I got to admit, I feel like every team, a side effect of COVID, but exactly like you said, that's even more reason that your player salaries are, should, should be everything you're thinking about right now. I mean, they are not, this is a great position for any cash rich teams to yeah. really take advantage. Yeah. You saw what Montreal tried to do this off season. Cause they're like, yeah, we don't care. We got the money. We'll still make money. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Let's go for it. Well, there's a real opportunity here. You're paying Tyler Toffoli a six. Like, that's an unbelievable contract. And that's the thing. The opportunity is more exception. than just COVID. That's what the thing is, is that these contracts can be longer term planning than COVID. Even if you're saving money in other departments exactly. and stuff, these, these contracts are huge right now. Exactly. And there's huge opportunity. And then to also pick off teams that got to shed salary. Yeah. There's no space to move, and there's going to be opportunities and assets plentiful for teams that can help move money. And the Canucks, as a major Canadian market team, in my opinion, should be in that operation. And the fact that Francesco Aquilini is involved in day-to-day operations is like any – we have seen this script so many times that when sports owners get overly involved, bad things happen and dysfunction takes place. We saw it with the Coyote story, the last podcast we did. We've seen it in Ottawa with the Senators and Melnick. We've seen it in Vancouver. We've seen it so many times. Over-involved ownership scares people. It scares away good general manager and good front office talent because they don't feel like they can do their jobs. It's true. It's, it's, it's been very rare that you actually have an owner invested that helps a team win, especially in hockey. So... Jim Benning, I believe, look, he's made his mess and he's sitting in it right now and it's not great. The thing is, is he doesn't have any ammo to try to get out of it. And I do feel from there. Like he probably realizes that he needs to make a move. He needs to do something. But he doesn't have, sorry, he doesn't have any of the flexibility to try to be creative and trying to come up with, well, maybe not even creative because I guess you can be creative and cheap, quite frankly. But he just doesn't have, like, he's a he's a traditional general manager. And he's a classic general manager. And those guys usually need money to spend their way out of problems. 
and he can't do that right now. So he's completely hamstrung in terms of any of his options because he's not going to come up with, quite frankly, creative and cheap solutions. Here's so it's oh, yeah. Here's an interesting thing about the. I'm looking at the team values as of 2020, and we're actually the third highest value of Canadian teams, and we're tenth yeah. highest in the league. And then you go down here at the bottom. We already talked with the Coyotes, but I was surprised to see Florida Panthers second to the bottom. They're having a great year, and partially because some of the the players they picked up and the changes they made uh, with Brandon, Hornquist and and yeah. the adjustments that they made, because they're still thinking about how player contracts are important, even if COVID's affecting operations. I mean, it's one hundred percent true. It's it's a real frustration because I mean, ugh, look, I'm not going to boycott the team. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'd say I'm not. Like, <laughs> quite frankly, I love like. I, like all of our Canucks fandom has absolutely nothing to do with Francesco Accolini. But in the same vein, he's like, this is my team. I can do what I want with it. Give me your money. And I'm going to keep doing it. Cause I love the thing he owns, but really it's on his, you know, like it's like it's his, but it isn't. I mean, like, we saw this why... with the NBA, right? Uh, yeah. Steph, Steph raised the Warriors value an insane amount. Uh, yeah. The players, are what the fans are watching. There's just no two ways about it. You know what I mean? And coaches are of course important for success and you want a team that wins, but there's very few times that you've had a fan be like, I love the owner. Big, big reason why. (laughs) No one cares. I know no one cares. And uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is too, like he's an apartment owner. He's a real estate guy. Very rarely are cash rich. They're usually cash poor because all their money is tied up in investments. So for people like that who are not cash rich in a time like this, they're squeezed. And so clearly, Aqua. Oh no, it's freezing. Oh no. Hands in the arena, and you're as limited as the NHL is right now in trying to make revenue. So they're just relying upon the TV deal. And the TV deal isn't as substantial. It is like the NBA teams can kind of go away with that. Because you're the NBA. You're so big enough that you can get away with it. Hockey, like, granted, thank God they got that 5 billion TV deal. Yeah. But that's about it. Anyways, anything else sad for uh, our boy Ben in here? But he does sort of seem like a dead man walking, I got to say. It's Yeah, it's just an unfortunate press conference. Like we said, time is not something to be going day by day when you're general manager that's how we want to hear he's just never had a talent for it but uh but let's get into some other topics well let's get into the rest of the league here and uh i want to talk about the craziness quite frankly that is the ottawa senators um (laughs) so there's a movement going on right now among ottawa senators fans called the senators sickos so you may, if you're if you're on to active on Twitter, you've probably seen this. There's a good article in that like about it the other day. And uh, granted, I'm a little paraphrasing here, and I may not be getting it exactly. But my understanding of what the Senator Sickos movement's about is sort of what it sounds like: enjoying and reveling, and sometimes <laughs> the pain and misfortune of others, and the general weirdnesses and intricities and eccentricities that is being a sports fan of a really shitty sports organization and having the Canucks kind of fall back down to where they've sort of been over the last few years it's made me remember some of that feeling and 
and uh, how it gets you through, especially when you're a fan of a team like the Senators who are in a real rough spot. And granted, things are getting better there. I'd say they've got some fun young talent, and that's great and whatnot. But they're in year three or four now of what's been a rough rebuild. <laughs> and um, and you know what? The Sensecos have been killing off coaches all year now. <laughs> I mean, between I mean, we just saw the Habs in town tonight. We haven't really spoke since Claude Julian got fired. That the one blindsided up, me. That was surprising to me because that was what that was only his second full second year, third year. And they were doing I guess well. third year. He had one full year because he came in halfway through a season after he got fired in Boston. And um But then they had the a great playoff there, run with him and which he uh, wasn't there though. In the bubble last year, he wasn't there. Oh, what? Did yeah, because he, he had a health issue. Year. Oh, no, he had a well, health he wasn't issue, there. so he was out of the bubble. He still might have made a difference, though. He might have been on a Zoom call or something. He's also one of the highest paid coaches in the NHL, making five mil a season. That's another, like, that's the thing. The Habs can afford to do that. They have one of the highest paid coaches of the year, make, a guy making $5 million who's being paid to sit at home right now. He had one bad week, and they're like, all right, we're done with him. I um, know. So that's clearly. They said price issue. and the team, uh, yeah, willed it. They like forced yeah. it to happen. They said price. An article said price was actually like, like openly losing games, letting goals in to say get rid of it. Uh, I doubt uh, that. Very but... much doubt that, man. The Montreal media is wild sometimes, baby. Insane. <laughs> it Insane. is. Oh man, Montreal. Like we think Vancouver's crazy sometimes. <sighs> Montreal is the craziest market in the league. The whole like I. We could do a whole separate podcast on the craziness that is the Montreal media market. But the they sickos. fired Claude Julian. <laughs> <laughs> truly. So they fired Claude Julian, um, bring, uh, promote Dominique Ducharme, who's had a very good junior career, especially former world junior coach as well, too, as um, head coach. We'll see how that goes. Um, interesting play, though, too. I mean, it re- really shows like how high the pressure is throughout the entire Canadian division right now. And um, I mean, it's one of the things, honestly, that's been really disappointing as a Canucks fan and why still, despite the fact that the season's gone so poorly, I really desperately hope that they get back into it. It's like, this has been such a fun year in the Canadian division. The pressure is like unbelievably high. You see Claude Julien get fired almost out of nowhere because the pressure is on in Montreal. We're going to fucking win. Like, and I see from (laughs) Montreal's perspective, you know, everyone's talking about how Toronto is escaping Tampa Bay and Boston, but Montreal is escaping them even more so. At least Toronto is kind of closing the gap to them. Montreal, man, is not close to Tr- to Tampa or Boston. No, but in the Canadian division, they're this. I think they're the still on paper second best team. They've played less games, so it's hard to tell. But yeah, I agree on paper. And they, I know. What's funny is we saw them as a Canucks as a Canucks fan, and they killed the Canucks. And then otherwise, they've been kind of poor. Um, in part because price has not been great this year, saying that he was fantastic tonight. So, I mean, I've always been a big price fan, I think he's a good guy, clearly. I think he gets a lot of shit in the Montreal media and has a house with a ton of class. Um, and then we also saw them fire Stefan Waite, their goaltending coach. Of all that, we're really bearing the lead, in my opinion, with the Habs, and that is they have hired none other than Alex Burroughs as the assistant coach, which I'm so happy to see that guy get a role in the NHL. 
So cool to see him in Vancouver. Obviously, keep coaching the wrong team, but uh, very Still cool. Late. Yeah, um, I think that's a nice, a smart promotion from the uh, Habs. They were talking on the Thirty One Thoughts podcast uh, today about bringing in Buffalo, bringing in a guy named Matt Ellis, a guy who's played for the team for a number of years, been a big part of the organization, a big part of the organization because he's someone who's relentlessly positive and a fun guy. Bringing him in as an assistant coach and whatnot. Burroughs, honestly, is he's just a great culture guy. We saw in Vancouver, like anyone who who was a teammate with Burroughs, like he's a classic guy. You hate him if he's not on your team. You love him not just for the things he does on the ice if he's on your team, but, but for clearly being a big culture and leadership guy, a guy who just works super hard, sets great standards, and is like honestly just sort of hilarious and being Alex Burroughs in the way he is sometimes. And um I think he'll be a guy that'll bring some fun into that locker room. Something that I find is quite often underrated within even professional hockey teams. Super underrated, but I also sort of think about it. And more than just the culture piece that he brings, he's the type of player that they're trying to build their whole team into. And keep in mind, like as, as, uh, as kind of fun loving as he was, the dude knew how to get in the right spot to score. He made a lot of stuff happen. And if they could have a whole team that has that kind of grittiness and finding the back of the net, because that's all they need. They're just trying to win games. They're not trying to do anything else. So if they just have guys in front of the net, making a mess in front of the goalie that can score the puck, it's going to be interesting. I hope he actually makes some real difference. How many of you see this too? And I never really thought about it until just now. I see a lot of Alex Burrows and Brendan Gallagher. Yeah, very smart players who have a tremendous nose for the net and getting their their uh, sticks and loose bucks make just like a number of very smart, intelligent decisions every time throughout the game. They'll make a number of great dump ins, like just simple plays that you're like, whatever. But if like honestly, if you're a hockey savant, you're like, that's fantastic. And um, it's I one think, of those like Brendan Gallagher is a guy every time I watch him, I'm like, damn, he is so good. And I found, like, Burroughs, you obviously as a Canucks fan have a great appreciation for him. But he was one of the most underrated smart players, I think, of all time. It's one of those things, whenever you have a guy like that that wants to attack the net that much, you you notice it because the issue with some of those players is that they're so into that that they really get screwed up and make bonehead mm-hmm. plays. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it takes a certain type of intelligence to be able to attack the net like that, but still make great sure you're point. in the right places at other points on the ice. Yeah, that's a great point, too. It, like, that was the thing with, I mean, like, Taylor Pyatt, a guy who was known for crashing the net, never really connected with Sedins, despite the fact that that was, you know, he was like a net front guy because he wasn't like a remarkably intelligent player. While Burroughs was a very intelligent player who connected because he had the ability to just like get open, get open, get open, get open, find a way to be involved. Like, he was just a very smart player and, um, and so hopefully he brings some of that as a coach. What I found kind of funny is he's coaching the power play. The one thing he never did in Vancouver. <laughs> right. And I was trying to figure that, that one out. Weird. I was like, that doesn't, that's not, did they watch his career? I know. <laughs> anyway, so good to see Burroughs there. We should move on to the other Canadian coaching fire. Once again, preempted by the Senators sickos. And that is a blast from the past and something legit that made me drop my jaw when I saw on Twitter. The Calgary Flames have hired Daryl Sutter as their head coach. How much did you feel like you were having deja oh, vu? My God, it was unbelievable when I saw that. I was like, no way. I was excited. I was super excited. 
I was excited because I was like, maybe Kippersoft's coming back. Oh. Iginla's back. <laughs> They're bringing <laughs> Man, Daryl Sutter to me has always been like pretty funny. Like his interviews, just so he's he, the Sutters. What's disappointing about Brandon Sutter is he's a very normal looking guy, like handsome enough. The Sutters, otherwise, like Brent and Daryl Sutter, are two of the most interesting faces of anyone I've ever seen in my life. Like just interesting. Like I could like be like, how do you? Oh, huh? <laughs> what? In, in, an, like, in an entertaining way, in like a positive I way. I don't even, I don't even know what I'm doing. Anyways, and um, look, it was an interesting fight hiring Daryl Sutter. That is a bold, capital bold move right there, hiring Daryl Sutter. Um, I think, personally, it'll have very positive results for the rest of this season. Tough to say for next season. And then the season after that will be a gong show. Okay, those aren't bad points. So my main concern is that, yeah, I'm worried that it's going to work out well for them. And they're the team that we have to beat in order to make the playoffs if we're going to turn this ship around. And, yeah, I have a bad feeling that he's going to help them. Man, watching the Flames this year has been almost like, look, I do not like the Flames, so I don't want to say it's disappointing. But they've been pretty shit, honestly. And um, Markstrom has kind of just replayed his role from last year within this year. Saving them whenever he and can. And quite frankly, Johnny Goudreau, he's, I think he gets too much crap sometimes. I'm still a fan of him. I think he's a good player. But he's not Pedersen good. And uh, no. Sean Monaghan has been very disappointing to me. Very disappointing. Sean Monaghan just never took the step to elite to not even just a first line center if anything he's kind of taking a step back from where he was at it's confusing to me because i look at his stats and he still sometimes gets points but it's 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 so frustrating when a guy can get a point and just still like make like really not help his team win um but the flames i mean like we said i'd love for them to just suck i do not like the flames (laughs) but um but gaudreau lindholm kachuk's good markstrom's a great goalie like they're Lindholm has been very good. Although they're also playing like they're playing other guys like what is this uh Terry and Manjapane. Like they're playing guys I had never heard of this year. Manjapane's a good player. He's yeah. looked good, I know, but I'm player. just saying like w- what is their depth situation? Maybe that's part of the It's issue. better than ours. It's I think yeah, I think some of the names are a little less known, but they're pretty solid. Um I mean Derek Ryan's guy who I thought was going to be much better there than I think he's kind of turned out to be. They still have Michael Backlund there. Matthew Kachuk has just not been the dominant force that I thought he was going to be this year. He's been in and out. Things it's just been kind of <laughs> off. Because at the end of the day, like, like I really do not like Matthew Kachuk. But when he's good, he is on like when he's good, I'd say he's a borderline top 20 player in the NHL. That might be a bit That's high. a bit much, but I know when what you're like trying to say. The <laughs> real difference maker. Him and his brother are what hockey players are kind of starting to become because they have the speed and the skill, but they're also like quite aggressive, which is what like but a coach wants right level. now. They're to next level. They're to next level of like aggressive, like annoyance. Like Matthew Kachuk, like. But every think, team wants a player like this. Yeah, I mean, he's been. I think his immaturity has taken a control of him a few times this year. I think that Muzzin puck flipping incident with Kachuk has been turned out to be a bigger thing than we all thought it was going to be, which is pretty funny, honestly. But um, 
it's been a weird, weird situation in Calgary in general this year. And I think Daryl Sutter will bring defensive stability to them. What he'll do, he'll bring the whole team in. He'll lower, like, man, I hope you don't have Johnny Goudreau in fantasy this year. And, and uh, I was trying hard to trade for him early in the year. And let's just say I'm very glad I did not because uh, the Flames' general points are about to collapse, but so is their goals against average. And Markstrom, if he stays healthy for the rest of the year, it may be a little too late. He may have missed too much time already this year, and Daryl Sutter may be coming in too late. But I would pet, like, if you could bet for 2021, no, 2022, I guess, uh, Vesna win already, I would maybe already put money on Markstrom. No, it's a super good point. Markstrom's going to have a great rest of the year. And yeah, the Flames will be even more defensive. And they've already been a more defensive team considering Canada's. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Uh, I don't yeah. really want to trade for any Flames right now for fantasy. Nope. I would not do that. Um, anyways, so that's Canadian division so far. Let's hit on a few key uh, points of the rest of the league here because I guess the American teams do exist. They and, do exist. Uh, I mean, look, I, I've been trying harder recently to try to stay up to date with some of the storylines and whatnot because there are some really good storylines that I think are really flying under the radar here in Canada because the Canadian division has been so bananas. Mm-hmm. Um, what have been some of the what have been some of the storylines that really caught your eyes in the states so far this year? The Islanders and the Canes. I did not. Really? I mean, we knew that they were good, but so they're both on five game win streaks right now. Uh, yeah. Varlamov is like debatably one of the best goalies right now, which I I used to really not like Varlamov. So I, I knew mean, the, the Islanders were also leading team. the division. Yeah, they're mm-hmm. leading the division, and they're a super defensive team, and they obviously have their young studs. Uh, the Hurricanes were they had COVID for so long at the start, so you really didn't know what to expect from them. Uh, so the fact that now that they've caught up with 24 games and have been great, uh, it's 17, yep. six and one. Um, so those are kind of like the two big ones. I mean, like we said, Panthers are the second lowest value team and they've been unreal. I'm so happy. I have Hornquist and Ekblad. I know. And, uh, I think the Panthers are a real team to note here too, that have been, I was not high on going into this year. It seemed like a lot of dysfunction and they've been really great throughout the year. I mean, who would have thought Chris Drieger was going to be a tremendous An goalie and was going to take over from $10 million man. Sergey Bobrovsky, which is just I will that's say a bad though, deal. The reason there are a few bad was, deals in the NHL right now, and that's one of them. <laughs> the reason why I was high on the Panthers is because Barkov and Huberto are very good players, and they're showing yeah. it. And I want to do a quick shout out to a team that I think is probably going to make the playoffs. And before the season, I declared them dead before the season started, and that is the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, I thought they were dead Patrick too. Kane, I was mean about them. I, I think Patrick Kane might win the hard trophy this year i mean it's i think at this point it might be him or mcdavid uh mckinnon's missing some time here so it's kind of taking him out in a short season i think it's going to come down to mcdavid and kane we'll see what the Oilers end up doing as a team um the blackhawks have been amazing i struggle i struggle to compliment kane because i just don't like him but damn, he's good at hockey. Like he's been great. He's been fantastic. And he's making these young guys good, like Kubelik yeah. and Debrinkat and their goalie Lankinen. Yeah, I know. Like I just didn't see this coming, Blackhawks. Well, Taves I mean, isn't even could... playing, and I think he'll help. Look, I ain't even gonna take shit for that. Who the hell thought Kevin Lankinen was gonna be yeah. a top ten starter for points of this season? Like, I mean, Malcolm Subban's been pretty good too. Like, so good for them. You know what? Good for them. 
Um, and the other thing that they really have going for them in that division is the Blue Jackets have had some tough stretches at times this year. Tortorella's name's been in the news for potential firing. Patrick um, Line has Predators not had a good basic- couple weeks. True. The National Predators have been self-imploding throughout the year. Uh, that's another team, too, that I think the Canucks are a team that's been taking up so much attention kind of for its shit show. But the Predators have been bad. The Dallas Stars, too, just oh, what a tough follow-up there. They're 7-8-5 and five so far. Missed a ton of games due to COVID. Just rough. And then you got the Red Wings. That, and I, the, I, there's no elaboration. Needed. The Stars started off hot, and then they just kind of fell apart. But they were like, for like the first like few games yeah. they played, I was like, oh my gosh, they're unreal. And then no. They were just... 4-0, and then just been brutal since. Yeah. Um, uh, rest that, of the team's Sabres wanna... have sucked. Um, that's I want to take a specialty special sec. You deserve to it. Highlight <laughs> here, the Canucks brother in expansion, the Buffalo Sabers. I feel like Canucks and Buffalo Sabers fans need to connect more than they do over our I think shared pain. Quite frankly, over the years, and Too similar been, spots in life right now. Look, they came in together, and I think both teams have been two of the most snake bit franchises in league history. Quite frankly. Both have had some generational talents at certain points. Hashtag, in my opinion, is the best goaltender ever, and I think he earned that while playing in Buffalo. Wow. The Canucks have Mark Messier. Did you say best goaltender uh, ever? Dominic Hashtag? I would say Dominic Hashtag is my opinion without a doubt. Not without. He's the best goaltender ever, yeah. Wow, all right. I think this is becoming a more prevalent belief, too. I, w- I don't know if you'd say everyone would agree with me now, but I think close to 50% of people would agree with me now. His numbers are just way better than Wah or Broder. I think Wah is the most important goaltender ever yeah, because he changed the style for everybody. But his numbers at times, like there was, he just wasn't as consistent year after year as Hashik was. Uh, Marty Broder is a piece of shit who cheated on his wife with his sister-in-law. Uh, <laughs> that was an unfair shot. <laughs> I, I don't mind I don't mind the Brodeur shot, but Patrick Wall was my guy. And I'm looking at these stats, my dude, and I just right, don't wait, know is... if you have okay. <laughs> I would do I would accept Wall. If you have Wall, I would accept that. I would pick Ash. Um, but the Buffalo Sabres are just in an unmitigated free fall this year. I don't know about you, but it's time to start taking bets on whether or not Jack Eichel's there to start next year. I'm gonna I'm... say probably not. I'm hoping for his fantasy owner, which is you, <laughs> that he gets traded at the deadline. They're saying that none of the Sabres are asking for it. They're saying that even Hall they is won't. being like, apparently Hall was like, yeah, I signed for one year, but I still see a long term with the Sabres. I don't know. At Why? six and 14, they lost seven in a row. And uh, someone was trying to tell me that uh, one of their goalies, I think Allmark, was, uh, was worth the trade. Don't you dare, buddy. <laughs> don't you dare. He's a starter. and uh, He has not been playing, though. Yeah, in part yeah. too. That is true. But they also have look, there's some bad deals in the HL right now. Bobrovsky, not great. I think the Carlson deal in San Jose is another really poor deal. Yeah. Um, and we all know how good Louis Erickson was. <laughs> there is not a single deal in the NHL worse right now than the deal Jeff Skinner is on. You don't like the fact that he's getting scratched? Oh my god. <laughs> God, the guy got scratched three games in a row and he's making nine and a half million. I mean, they were talking about this on 31 Thoughts two weeks ago. And uh, as Jeff Merrick pointed out, that third scratch is the FU scratch. That's personal. And um, they're in a tough spot there. 
Jeff Skinner has a goal and an assist for two points now through 20 games. And he's in nothing defensively. Actually, sorry, I think... Yeah, sorry. Well, this just kind of made me laugh. So I put Skinner in a fantasy. Yeah. Stuart Skinner has played one game. That (laughs) that random goalie. He has five fantasy points. Jeff Skinner is an expensive-ass player who's played 20 games. And he only has 20 fantasy points. That is not a big difference. (laughs) Man. Like, just horrible. Like, that situation is toxic, seemingly. Like, that must be a horrible situation in a dressing room. Like, how is that not so effing awkward every day? Um, I will say, oh. though, he broke his goalless drought yesterday against the Rangers. Oh, I, or Islanders. Yeah. I mean, that... I don't even know what to say about that. I just feel for Senders fans at this point. To, sorry, it's not Senders. I feel for Senders fans, too, but Sabres fans. Oh, by the way, I, I mean, looked up Sickos, and the Sen Sickos are apparently trying to get the first pick. Is it, That's what they're, they're... They're also just trying to lose to get first pick. Sabres, I never thought would be in a situation to be going for first pick this season. I thought they had like, grabbed Hall and we're going to try to win stuff. We're going to try to prove to Eichel that they were like putting in effort. It's weird. I don't understand what's going on in Buffalo. How many seasons have we had a similar narrative now where it's like we're trying to get out of this doldrum? We're trying to get a both, you know. But also, Ristolainen and- was great. Dolan was great. And then all the, the I don't understand how these young stars have one nah. great season and then just Let's fall see. off in Buffalo. No, nah, man. See, this is this is where you're falling off with fantasy right here. Is first off, Ristolainen's been a shit defenseman basically his entire life in the NHL. He he's always scored year. a ton of points. He's always scored a ton of points, but you look at any of his numbers, you watch him play, and he's not good. He's brutal defensively, and he sells up for offense. Um, he's not a great defenseman. I mean, Rasmus Dahlin, it's tough to say. He's just not getting the shine, too that you'd hope for a guy who came in with so much hype because of that situation there. In my opinion, Jack Eichel's a top 10 player in the league. Yeah. They've got Victor Olsen. They've got some guys like Linus Allmark's like not a bad goaltender. Carter Hutton's a decent backup to have. That's what I'm saying. When you look at their team, it's I know. good. It's Brandon a good Ma- team. I, but guys go there who are good other places and then like forget how to play. Like what happened to Brandon Montour? That was a defenseman I was high on coming in from, from Anaheim. A lot of people were. And he's getting scratched there. That's for a team that's losing seven in a row. Not just naming their happen? players. Victor Olsen, Sam Reinhardt, also good. They grabbed Eric Stahl. Like, they've tried to make moves. Kyle Poso is depth for them. They have Dylan Cut. Like, I don't get it. They've just been Man, really bad. They've got a back end here. Colin Miller, good defenseman. Guy who I was hoping the Canucks would acquire. Mm-hmm. Henry Yokoharu, guy who broke in his young defenseman, Chicago Blackhawks. Pretty high, highly regarded. Jake McCabe, good defensive defenseman. Ristolainen, once again, great numbers, kind of shit. Dolan, we all know. And Brandon Montour, another guy I thought I was big, big on. And um, I don't even, I don't even know where to begin. Like it, it honestly seems cursed. I agree. Well, anyway, so that's it for about the rest of the American teams. There, we'll head back to them in a bit in some other future pods, but. Uh, Exciting players for the American teams are Flurry and Philip Forsberg right now. They have been yeah. hot. True. True. Flurry, great band spike here. Yeah. Well, do you have any key uh, fantasy corner ads or are you about ready to wrap it up here? I think I'm ready to wrap it up. Uh, I think everybody just, I grabbed Chris Kreider. You should grab him if you can. He's a good player. Um. <laughs> <laughs> he is a good player. Tall. 13, Tall 13 goals. That's pretty good so far. Is he really? Well, that's good for him so far. He's on a big contract too, so I'm glad to see Kreider coming through for him. 
Well, and Zabanajad's been bad, so they need something. Yeah, that is weird. I never it's thought. Weird. I mean, he's twenty-seven. He had two good seasons. Aside from that, he's a fifty-point player. I don't know about him. He's Man. he's very Kadri-esque. He was times. fucking amazing last. <laughs> I know. Well, he I scored know. five goals too. So like, I don't know. Um, it's it's a weird year. It's gonna be tough to know how much to put stake into this year. Too, in this year, in yeah. Fantasy. Fully agree. Well. Anyways, in that note here, folks, thanks for joining us here for another Kanako Heads episode. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, you'll hear from us soon. Well, now, that's all right, no mama. That's all right for you. That's all right, no mama. Any way you do, but that's all right. That's all right. That's all right now, mama. Any way you do. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe.